Hello and welcome to Resourceful, stories from the site, proudly brought to you by Resources Unearthed. At Resources Unearthed, we help executives, professionals and business owners in mining and resources to be successful both personally and professionally. We've created this podcast to help you in your employment or business, and we'll be chatting to people who have a proven track record of success in the industry. Thanks for joining us. We're joined today by Tim Brown and Ben Crosby, co-owners and operators of BAMSA, an engineering consultancy business based in Brisbane, focused on underground engineering excellence. Tim and Ben met at university while studying mining engineering and have 20 years of friendship under their belt. We talk with them today about the unique backgrounds and how they eventually decided to join forces to establish BAMSA in 2008 while the tunneling industry was booming. As leaders in the field, BAMSA operates Australia-wide to provide innovative, safe and cost-effective solutions to complex underground engineering challenges. Tim and Ben share how fortunate they are to have a 20-year-long friendship and reiterate the importance of communication, aligned values and a friendship outside of work. So hi, my name's Brett Cribb, Managing Director and Founder of Resources Unearthed, and welcome to Resourceful Stories from the site. We're doing something a little different today, which will be really interesting for those listening who either run their own business or those who are thinking about getting into it. It's common knowledge that owning and operating a business isn't easy, and that every owner's experience is as unique as the business itself. Today, we're hearing both sides of the story. I'm joined by Tim Brown and Ben Crosby, co-owners and operators of BAMSA, a tunneling engineering consultancy business based in Brisbane. I've known Tim personally for around five years now and, and Ben for about the same time. In fact, Tim and I would have first met each other while he was working for Fomenko at Mount Isa while I was there as the underground manager for the copper mine. As a firm, BAMS has completed underground engineering work with clients in both public and private sectors, ranging from mining giants BHP and Rio to state and local government organisations and utility providers and infrastructure providers. They're today involved in many of the large-scale underground infrastructure projects throughout Australia, based here from Brisbane. This is our first episode that features co-owners of a mining and resources company, and I'm looking forward to hearing Tim and Ben's different perspectives from within the same businesses. So wherever you are, sit back, relax and enjoy this episode of Resourceful. Welcome Tim and Ben, thanks for joining us today. Thanks Brett. Yeah, thanks for having us Brett. So to kick off today, could you each give us a brief overview of how you started in the industry, finishing with your current positions at BAMSA? I know it will have been a bit of a change to go from mining to a civil tunnelling and I know our listeners are always interested and intrigued to hear those stories. Tim, could you kick off and tell sure. us where you, where you started and how you got into business? Yeah, sure, Brett. Mining engineering, uh, I started mining engineering at University of Queensland. That's where I met Ben, fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> uh, a long time ago now. And uh, look, I, I, I drifted into mining and engineering, grew up on a property and, and had a and uh, was attracted, I guess, to tangible doing things and, and a father who would tinker and make things and, and, and always fix problems. So engineering was a sort of clear pathway for me. And at uni, I was fortunate enough each year to go and work in, in pretty attractive when you're young, probably less so when you get a bit older places while I was doing my engineering degree. So I spent some time at the Granites in the Northern Territory over in the Pilbara at Tom Price, 
uh, and up in the Bowen Basin and also down in Tasmania at a, at a zinc mine in Tassie. And from there, left university with a degree, you know, never going to go down the, the design pathway, more the sort of delivery and construction project management. Worked for a very small um, mining contractor for Minko and that took me to a number of different locations where as a very young and inexperienced graduate you're uh, ordering consumables in the morning, driving a truck for half the day and, and charging a face at the, at the end of a shift and, and learning a lot about man management and, uh, and just general people management I guess. I carried on in the mining sector for a number of years and then uh, was married and uh, my wife's desire to live in uh, Charters Towers or, or, or the Pilbara <laughs> was, pretty, was pretty limited, pretty <laughs> limited, pretty limited. And uh, we, we went on an adventure over, um, I'd, I'd done a couple of years on a, on a smaller tunnelling project in Sydney and, and we went on a bit of an adventure post getting married overseas into the, to the UK. And over there, the, the, the opportunities from a mining perspective as a, somebody wanting to travel a lot and, uh, and do a bit of work were, were less so, so the, the, whereas the civil infrastructure game was very buoyant and, and I drifted into the, to the civil space, I guess leveraging a little bit of the work pre going over. And um, we spent about four years in the UK, came back to Brisbane, that place lost its luster for us when, when our, our daughter was born there and um, came back to, to Brisbane and Brisbane um, hometown, you know, there was a lot of tunnelling activity here and uh, we, we sort of, you know, joined forces, I guess, at around that time and, and uh, BAMSA grew out of a 20 year friendship that, uh, and, and, and by that stage, a, a hell of a lot of experience that would, um, meant that we were probably stronger as a group rather than uh, trying to be uh, sort of one-man band mercenaries. So um, so that's sort of, you know, and the rest is history. We've, we've ridden the, the Brisbane boom and, and now it's, it's uh, there's probably more of the spend is occurring uh, further afield, but we're, uh, we're, we're busy across the country in the tunnelling space. So Ben, your, your story, are you getting there? Long answer, Tim. Uh, yeah, but, he likes uh, talking. <laughs> he loves talking. <laughs> Very similar story, actually. We're from similar backgrounds. We're from a uh, rural family as well. And uh, unlike Tim, I was more like guided by my father who who melded or interpreted my skills and what I'd be good at and told me you'd be a good engineer. Whether or not I've fulfilled that yet, uh, (laughs) don't chime in, Tim. But having met Tim at, at Mining Engineering at the University of Queensland, Soon I uh, had a passion for underground uh, work and so embarked on a career post-university that took me into the contracting world and um, I liked what attracted me was, was less design and more people and, and management of projects, mm. albeit that at the early phases of my career. From there, uh, I got a few lucky jobs they were still doing some there was a tunnel a one-off tunneling project in brisbane um, and that gave me a great foundation what at that point i felt that i was underdone with both a professional background in mining engineering versus what we're building with in most of these tunneling aspects and that's concrete and the strength of concrete whereas the strength of geotechnical formation we're relying on that in an underground capacity and the mining capacity. And so I 
focused on, based around relationships that I, I thought I'd move into the tunneling industry. The tunneling industry for me and my small amount of research then was uh, booming overseas in busy metropolitan areas. And so therefore I, I um, grabbed some experience, uh, my mining experience, coupled that with some, um, some pre-stressed concrete and bridge building and uh, experience in North Queensland. And coupled with that, with my mining engineering degree, I wanted to um, then chase tunneling work. And um, if I'd have put some money in to a tunneling index at that point, I, I think it was a growth industry. I wish I had, yeah. but it did. The, the market didn't offer that. But uh, it's been a it's been a wise move as tunneling has grown, even in Australia in our metropolitan areas, but for infrastructure mostly. But I supplemented that those early experiences of bridge building and, and working with concrete with going to London and working in tunnelling for five years on and off and then came back to Australia and uh, as Tim said, we, we thought we'd be better a better force together and so we, um, we joined forces and established BAMSA. What has been your biggest learnings in business so far? I feel in a business like ours, we're, um, we're not a contractor, we're not you know, selling widgets, we are a people business. So the three elements of our business, which is key, are our employees, our clients, and, and overall our ethics. So um, I, I just feel that we um, needed to focus on those. And luckily for us, I think it came naturally, given our backgrounds and and um, and the way I was in brought up in retail as well as a farming background, and um, just some of those old school ethics in the customers always right, serve the customer and and look after people, and then build from that. So I feel that that's been um, that's been uh, you know where we've focused and and done well. I think it's been key for us also that the, the you have to when you're a, you're a service provider, you have to add value. We really uh, endeavour in the people that, that we attract to come and work for us. We've been, we've grown fairly steadily over the years and a lot of that's been through uh, uh, attracting people that we've worked for in other capacities to come and join us. And they do that one, I think, enjoying working with, with ourselves and with some of, the, some of our other employees, but also a bit of a personalised relationship with the people who, who are the decision makers in the in the organisation and that's something that I think has held us in pretty good stead as we've sort of grown in the last uh, 10 or 12 years. A bit of a current COVID question you know op- operating a project-based business where you've got people on the ground and a role that traditionally requires a fair bit of on-site work how have you guys managed that in your business at the moment? Yeah well, look I, I think fortunately uh, very fortunately, the, the the construction and certainly the infrastructure sector have been uh, not hugely affected in terms of the projects ceasing to work. There's a hell of a lot of measures have been required to keep the projects operating. And for our small involvement in those projects, we have to be compliant and, and assist in implementing these measures. When COVID first reared its head for us here in Australia in, in uh, early March, we were very concerned about what that would mean to how we continued to operate, how we because we we cover a number of jurisdictions. We're in uh, in Australia, we're we're in Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria, and we have a, a big presence in each. 
Um, we have people that are remote, we have people that are travelling a lot. And so there are obvious challenges in that regard. Um, I think it's actually brought, brought us closer together internally. We've probably harnessed a few tools that have been available to us very effectively, as has the rest of the world from a, from a video meetings perspective that have, uh, we've still got people that are working full-time based in Brisbane on projects that are in Victoria, uh, likewise for projects that are, you know, in Sydney and, and, and vice versa where uh, state border limits have, have, have introduced some real challenge. We've been fortunate that our projects have kept going, yeah. albeit with um, a lot more administration and controls. We've been fortunate that way and we've been fortunate that the government and most of our asset owners or, or project owners are pushing forward. What has happened is it's created a hell of a lot of admin back at the office with regard to letters and essential workers travelling. But once we've got over that hump, I think, I think we've come out of it more positively where we're communicating more and we're also um, using, as Tim's referring to, the, the, you know, the tools that are available to us to connect us when we're not in the same room. Uh, so that's been an advantage and we'll go on to use these tools uh, like video conferencing as part of our business much more. Yeah. We might save some money um, on flying and flying, and, yeah. and flying save and, some time on it. Yeah. Yeah, so just yeah. definitely time, and we might um, you know not contribute as much as to the uh, environmental problems out there. <laughs> so uh, I think I think all in all, it's it's been um, good for us because the projects have stepped, kept going, and it's enabled us to be in the same city to work on the business. So we've been able to annoy each other enough to get some really valuable restructure and, and approach and plans to go take us forward because normally we don't get that time together yeah. in the same office mm -hmm. so so generally pretty good yeah you're normally at one end of the country compared to the other we, yeah. we are we're certainly hoping that um that that some of the new norms continue as as norms post corona mm -hmm. in terms of uh convincing the odd client that we don't need to be Physically, with them physically, the but that yeah. I think that's that's going to be a challenge in an, in, a, in an industry that is 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 very reliant on uh, on and and for, for for good reason, but yeah. in having people on the ground. So that's yeah, people and site inspections and things like that. That's that correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, if you could go, each of you go back to the day you became directors of Bamser and started the business up, what advice would you give yourselves? I'd um, I'd say uh, we. In those early phases, we could be a bit less tight with the with money. We could uh, spend a bit more on support staff and and help. Yeah. Um, you can't do it all yourself, Ben and Tim. This is that that voice in your mind. That's right. Yeah. Uh, share the load. Delegate. Mm. Um, albeit on day one, there is only us. So so we did need to reflect and be real. But uh, as we've got um, as we've had organic growth. Um, we we've probably held on a little bit too much, yeah. And paying the price today, there's slightly that culture still that there's a line outside Tim or my office waiting for simple decisions. So it's that delegation. I would say, let go, let go a little bit with your your good people. They're really good professional people. Give them that. Give that them more. Um, you know, autonomy. Autonomy. Yeah. 
yeah, the ability to make decisions and know where they can go to make decisions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's certainly um, one of the things that I taught myself early on in business, but I wish I'd taught it a long time before I did it was, you know, outsource some things. Yeah, (laughs) early on we balked at what would be involved in doing that. And I think Ben's right, we would have have lent on others a little more early on. I think we probably would have also backed ourselves a little more in a a few situations. We're probably a bit conservative by nature and... uh, if we knew then what we know now, I mean, this is a great, um, great adage. But um, if we knew then, we probably would have potentially gone a little, a little harder in a few areas yeah. a bit earlier. But look, that's um, it's probably the engineering training. There's two things: yeah. a bit conservative and a bit cost focused. That's, that's exactly right. Good engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Good engineers. It's not very good for running a business sometimes. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> Yeah, you probably talked about some of the key values or practices that support you as directors, which was people and things like that. But is there anything else, you, any key values or practices that you as directors like to focus on with BAMPSA to support your business and project delivery? Yeah, I think, Brett, it's just worth saying, um, you know, culture, people, clients, um, and, and looking after closing that loop, ensuring that our, um, our employees are happy and, and they've got clear paths to where, what they're doing today and where they want to go with their career. I think that's been a valuable element that we've learned along the way. Um, they want to grow their career and their, and their skill set within BAMSA, which has been great, and we embrace that. Um, but then just, uh, you know, that, that ethics, uh, making sure that the ethics and the culture's right. So we, we've found that that's, that's been the values that we, that we instill at, at work. We know it can be difficult co-owning and operating a business. So, so this is for the listeners out there that might be struggling with a partner in business. Are there any areas where you disagree on when it comes to running a BAMP? So, or over time you've disagreed and how you worked it out and what you did? Despite what they say about Tim, he's actually a good bloke. <laughs> so, so if I could give anyone some advice... That would have hurt. That, that, would that, hurt. Hurt. that, that hurt. hurt. That hurt. That hurt. So hurt. If you could give yeah. anyone some advice, it's really having those aligned values and um, key drivers, but then having time to have you know, some social interaction. You know, albeit tomorrow that uh, we'll, we'll be catching up socially for lunch on a weekend. So... I feel that it's just been, we've been very fortunate to see eye to eye. Sure, we've got all the tools that if, as 50, 50% owners each, that we have a, a binding agreement under a unit holders agreement, but um, there is, there's not an odd number here. So if, if Tim wants to go that way and I want to go that way, there is avenues that we would look to and we would um, take that to the board where we have a third member on the board and non-executive director to to guide us and and help us through that challenge. We've talked about this before. It's never we've never had to use it. Yeah, so yeah. let's let's hope that we can continue. You never do. Yeah. We we've talked about this before, and he told us that he wouldn't make a decision. <laughs> yeah. He would convince one of us to to come to the other side. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'd just talk through it. But I've been very fortunate enough to have a great um, relationship with Tim. Uh, outside of work and that's continued and uh, unless you have to something uh, c- counter well, to I'm, say I'm, there, I'm Tim. About to, I'm about to drop it. <laughs> no, no, Ben's exactly right. We, we, we're very fortunate in that regard. I think we've known each other for a long time. So we, we went in to what we're doing now, eyes wide open. Yeah. I think there's a little bit in, in our similar backgrounds from an upbringing almost perspective that means 
we can but look we we disagree i mean i'm I'm always trying to spend money. He never lets me. But look, we talk a lot. Um, uh, you know, probably a disturbing amount, really. We're aware of what's going on. If there's a problem, we know about it pretty early on before it, before it becomes something that is, is any bigger. And we, we, we try to thrash it out before, before anything would become any, any, any more significant. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's probably your, your tips then for managers and professionals in the sector and including other professionals who wanted to enter the business world might be around the people and talking with your partners and those sorts of things. But is there anything else there in, in that area where what sort of key tips you've got for managers or professionals in the sector thinking about getting into business? The old adage of the client's always right whether or not um, that's still current today, I, I think we've always um, respected the client. We go beyond the the, the, um, the customer's always right. We go beyond the, 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 the man or the person with the checkbook uh, has the final say. And look, it's just that respect and those people skills. And um, what I've found is, is be open um, subject of conversation rather than make sure that if we thought we did a good job let's follow it up and make and and see uh, it's that feedback loop um yeah. so so i really think that's been important um and and the ability to take constructive criticism and then pick up the phone in a couple of months and say well we took that on board and here we are can you please comment and and it's been um it's been one of those that feedback loop is good yeah good i think it also you, you've got to have a reasonable handle on your market if, you, if you're looking to, to get into to, to something, is, is to have a, a reasonable handle on the market and confident in, in, in the service you, you'll offer. And things will flow from there. And look, in our world, it, it really is a, you know, there's a, there's a, we have established relationships with a number of different parties that we, we, we work for that um, uh, fortunately provide repeat, repeat and return business. Mm. Knowing that market would be a sort of key recommendation. Yeah, doing um, you know really good and reputable work gives you repeat business. So, to Tim's point, knowing your market and having something real to offer, being a being even in early in your career, being an, an expert or having done more reading and understanding of of, of those um, issues that a client might see, and then um, you know being a bit of a forensic investigator to to make sure that a problem is. Um, you know where that problem's been caused. So uh, another question for you: Is there any new technology concepts or trends within that underground engineering tunneling that you've been interested in lately, and following or using? Tunneling is very much a global business or a global industry. So there are people are, are building tunnels in in every for you know every continent in very remote areas and very urban areas, and there is a hell of a lot more involvement from international companies in Australia these days. I, just before Corona, I was in France looking at a, uh, an innovative way of uh, waterproofing or providing a water, waterproofing solution to um, Australian road tunnels. And, and that is really just one example where it's being done quite consistently elsewhere. There's no reason it can't be done in Australia. So there's, there's a, there's a, we have a, a bit of a tendency here to, to uh, think that 
we do everything the only way. Yeah. Certainly in the tunnelling space and some of our international contractors come in here to Australia and say, well, look, there are, we're doing it in 10 different places a different way. There is quite a lot of opportunity there across a number of different things. We stay um, involved in new technology in our industry by participating in international and national conferences. And I guess for a small company our size, we invest a fair bit in that for, yeah. for a couple of reasons. One, new technologies, and two, to grow our employees' um, experience and exposure. So they really embrace that. It's a cost to the business, but it's money well spent. And um, we always track and keep in touch with some of the global large um, manufacturers that have large R&D programs. So one in particular is, is game-changing that we're just looking at now with a machine manufacturer out of Germany which small diameter microtunneling has only been, for, say for example, 500 metres, 500 millimetre diameter pipes being installed micro, via microtunneling have been only able to go to that two to 300 metres in length. Heron Connect have um, brought in just game changing that small diameter space to, to go over a kilometre in one drive. Yeah. So that's probably right now something that's really the industry's embracing. Obviously, it's really expensive mm. right now, but as time goes on, that'll come down and the economics will work and um, we'll all be able to use this great new technology. Yeah, it's staying, spending a lot of money on technology and training is really important and it's trying to stay innovative because you've got to keep changing in business. If you don't keep changing, you'll be out of business in five years, I reckon. Mm. Um, when you started up your business, it's a difficult time financially often. So what did you guys do when you started the business and how did you manage the finance side of the of yourselves personally and, and the business? We sort of describe a little bit of the evolution of the business in the offices we've, we've had over our 12 or 13 years. But early on, we worked out of the it, we used to have a teppanyaki room in my house. <laughs> and the teppanyaki room... Sounds, didn't seem sounds very grand. Sounds yeah, very exactly grand. Right. It was a garage. I guess as a people business, you know, selling time, our demand for large capital injections early on was, wasn't significant. It was really a lot of time invested. We scrimped and saved, I guess, to, to, to then move from the teppanyaki into a, I think it was a carton of beer, the next little yeah. office that we, that we sublet from someone a, a week or a month. And then it moved to something that was a little serviced office and, 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 and so on. So, look, it, it was, it was, a, you know, at that stage, it was a particularly um, challenging time, personally, from a, from a, from a cash flow perspective. So, I think from we... From a cash flow perspective, we've, we're still today, we still, um, as directors, uh, fund the business by... Uh, delaying our uh, distributions to ensure that we can pay our uh, obligations so that there's a slight delay there and so that's how we've always done it and and fortunately continued to do it so we don't have any we're not paying for cost of money or or loans etc one, one thing I would add is that um, looking back I think we were so immersed in our business that um, we didn't really well I didn't really have time to think about super and retirement financial position. I was just concentrating on, on building the business. If I could go back, I, I would have preferred to have met someone like yourself early on 
and um, had that commitment. Well, I, didn't, I don't think we had the time to to read, um, you know, what markets were doing well and what shares were doing well and what how we'd look after that position into the future, but relying on someone else to, to help that earlier. Yeah. And I guess, guess it goes back to being conservative, so... Yeah, that's it. I think uh, one of the things I found over a long period of time is often the financial side gets dropped, but it's it's the the big the big assistance I think you'll find over time. It's sort of about consistently reviewing and considering things, and and being able to make decisions consistently over a long period of time yes. stacks up over a long time. It doesn't. You're not going to get big bang outcomes in one second. You know, it all happens over compound interest works over a long period of time so yeah. as you said Ben you know start early yes um, yeah look use it, the most opportunities yeah. you've got we, we probably the advice we we received or, or, or obtained was more around structuring what we we're going to do probably not thinking about the whole piece it was very focused on on the, the business yeah. and a bit of a thought process about what might happen but but it was more what's what are, how are we going to deal with today, not yeah. Not, yeah. not beyond. Yeah, it's um, like it's around that business structures and things like that, right, getting absolutely. the right advice early and mm. yeah. And I think I think I think you know we're now sort of sitting there looking at it, going, well, you know, if we if we had that in mind back then, maybe thing the whole structure, our structure may be different. Yeah. Quite quite. Yeah, it, it could have been. It, it yeah. could have been. For our last question, what's your funniest or or most memorable stories from the site? Well, I don't know how long we got. How long have we got? <laughs> yeah, then? Um, we, we, we could be here for hours, but um, look, I'll, I'll start. And it's, it's, I don't know whether it's not. It's not. A, wasn't particularly funny. I look back on it fondly. I have. A, I've still got a great photo of the uh, of the incident. Um, it was memorable. I was actually. It was actually when I was working at when Brett Brett was the uh, mine manager at X Forty One, and I was a young graduate. At the lowest end of the food chain in the uh, the small mining <laughs> contractors team, still there at Bam. So we we I was we were rehabilitating a particularly old and very deep. Uh, and let's just say it was probably one of the oldest areas that we had running at the yeah. time. It right, was, would have been brought you guys two kilometres. Two kilometres below uh, ground. No, we're about twelve, a thousand, somewhere around. A thousand. There. Yeah, okay. about a thousand. I've been, I've been selling this. I've been selling this yeah, a so lot it, more significantly. Yeah, yeah. Solid escalation. Solid. <laughs> Could have been twelve hundred, but okay. it wasn't. Twelve hundred. So we were. We, I was offsiding a jumbo. We'd, um, we were putting cable, drilling cable bolt holes and installing dowels, and we'd drill the cable bolt holes before the dowels, and I would change the rods on this pretty old Atlas Copco jumbo, and and. Um, we just drilled our array of cables and we'd, we'd switched over to, to, to uh, the, the dowel holes and I'm just sitting on the side of the drive. And a, a very large, probably 40 to 50 tonne uh, wedge fell out of the, the crown and, um, or the backs, That's sorry, it, the, back, the backs. Yeah. The back backs, at the time, yeah. And, um, and squashed the, uh, the, the, the left boom of the jumbo. And not an hour earlier I'd been, uh, I'd been in that location, so uh, it, was, it was quite a solid rock. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah. So look, there's look there. Are, that, that's a that's a that's a memorable one. So there's been plenty of funny ones, but I, maybe Ben's got one of those. Well, whilst tunnelling in London, I was on an eight-kilometre drive on a small uh, segmentally lined machine, which uh, tunnel boring machine, and eight kilometres from the pit top to the pit bottom, and then eight kilometres in is a long way. So. 
the diameter of the tunnel was 3.05 metres, um, which is, I think that might be the 10 foot. So they all started in, that's the, the 10 foot conversion. And um, there wasn't a lot of toilets under underground. When you're eight kilometres in, and yeah, you're in a 10 uh, foot yeah, a diameter environment. And um, me being the new Aussie on, on the job, I, the first day I got to the, got to the face and the, um, the, the operator, this massive, broad accented Irish man said, uh, what's your name, son? And how long are you, will you last on this drive? <laughs> and I said, I'm Ben Crosby from Australia. I'm going to have a go. And I, and I lasted longer than he did. <laughs> he, he left. I finished the drive. So we were, uh, I finished the remaining seven kilometres of the drive on the machine. Um, but the, the point of being underground, uh, we were about 70 metres down, eight kilometres in. Social graces and and the use of toilets 20 plus years ago w wasn't being done. No, and no. so it was, um, yeah, it was very interesting how <laughs> how a 12 sh hour shift would would, uh, would un work. unwind. Yeah, but yeah. that's all we can say. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was very, unwound very pleasantly. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so guys, thanks for joining us today, Tim and Ben, and for giving our listeners some insight into the world of the business owner. It's been great to have you here, so thanks very much. Mm, thank you, Brett. Yeah, yeah, thank great. you. We appreciate it. And for those listening, if you'd like to speak to Tim or Ben, you're more than welcome to connect with them on LinkedIn or contact them through their website. We'll have BAMPS's details on our podcast series page. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you have a spare minute, we'd love you to leave us a review via your favourite platform and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resourceful, stories from the site. We'll be back in a month with more tips and insight from our other industry leaders. We'd love to connect with you. You can find us on all the usual social channels and our website, resourcesunearthed.com.au. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode.